0: Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room to listen to all of our podcast episodes without any ads, you get access to our video episodes, our bonus episodes, and even more exclusive content, including merchandise. It only starts at $5 a month, so head on over to our Patreon. Again, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com Boiler Room. And while you're at it, you know what would be such a help is if you could rate and review the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and make sure that you follow us and share out our podcast to all of your friends. It truly does help. And I wanna thank you all. It means so much that you're listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I hope that you enjoy this episode.
1: Hey, true crime friends. Welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all had a wonderful week this week, and I hope you are going to have a fun, relaxing weekend. I am going to an exhibit with some work friends um, tomorrow, and then Sunday, I'm going to finally, finally see the Barbie movie. I've been holding out for seeing it because I wanted to go with my mom and my sister. So, finally, we were all able to make it work. So, we're going to go on Sunday and I'm very excited to see that. Um, Otherwise, you know, it's kind of just been sort of a normal week, I guess. Um, I think I mentioned this, like, last episode or the episode before. Like, I've been really into reality TV lately and I had just listened to, because, of course, I got caught up with the whole Scandal drama. And honestly, before this, I wasn't that into reality, that much into reality TV at the time. However, at the time that this happened, like when Scandalval was coming out and the new season was about to air and everything, I was home with COVID. So literally all of that was just constantly <laughs> in my face like almost every second when I'm wa- trying just trying to watch Below Deck, you know, because that was the one reality TV show at the time that it was like full like going full force for and you know, just constantly watching the reruns of. So, you know, I was kind of living in Bravo world but just in the Below Deck realm. So, you know, like I said, I would watch that and then I would see all the previews and hear about all the drama. And then I was kind of like, all right, let's give it a shot. And then I'd been sucked in and now I'm kind of becoming a bravaholic. So so because of that, I did listen to the Raquel and Bethany interview, both parts. Actually, I didn't listen to all of the second part. I think I still have like seven. Yeah, like seven and a half minutes left of the second part. I, I feel like I'm trying, like I'm doing my best to remain biased and to try and really listen to what Raquel, sorry, not Raquel, Rachel is saying in this interview. And I apologize if I called her Raquel earlier, I meant Rachel. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to adjust. You know, it takes me a minute. I already suck with names to begin with as you all know. But, like, you know, you got to give me a second. So, Rachel, her interview with Bethany Frankel from Real Housewives of New York, previously, um, they sat down and had a discussion about the scandal of, all of it all and the aftermath and everything like that. So, again, like, I was very much... I And still am very much Team Ariana. I mean am i trying like at this moment in time i do feel like there is maybe something a little sketchy about ariana and tom um and that wasn't just listening to this interview but like seeing other things of filming and such that you know part of me was like is this really a work thing or is this just adding more fuel to this situation and to this publicity and whatnot um so like for example like one thing i think i saw a video of them all walking into a restaurant together or something like that and ariana and tom were like right behind each other like ariana walked in in front of tom and she said she didn't want to record with him now do i understand that just because they're in the same place and filming is going on that? that obviously that doesn't mean that they're filming together. You know, it doesn't mean they're sharing scenes together. It just means that filming is happening while they are both in the same place at the same time. Now, whether that is story related or not, we're going to find out in the new season, but you know. So like I don't know. And she just like she seemed fine, but then again, I mean, she's in a new relationship. She's Hashtag thriving. So, I mean, maybe, you know, she was fine with it. But I just found it weird. You know, because, again, you're, it's, I don't know. I just feel like because of that situation and the way that they were coming in, like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if it were me and knowing that the public knows that I don't want to film with you, I would want to put as much distance between myself and you as possible. So the fact that they were literally like right one after the other, I was a little, like I said, I don't know. I'm getting weird vibes. However, I also get not the full, I don't get the ick from Rachel. I just, knowing that she lied for so long, I think is what makes me not trust what she has to say. So... Maybe that's part of why I kind of was just, like, yelling at it. But also, to be fair, I mean, one thing I did notice and that did really bother me was that she – so she apologizes, like, at the top of it of the interview with Bethany. And says that she has a lot of remorse for what she did. However, though, throughout, throughout – throughout the interview, it just kind of seemed like – I don't know, that she – really takes accountability because a lot of the times, like it just feels like when I was listening to it anyway, it just seemed like she kept trying to give reason after reason after reason, like almost trying to justify that what she did was okay. And that, you know, her just saying that she was sorry about what she did at the top should just like blanket coat it. So like, I don't know. And maybe that was just the way that she explained it. Like, I feel like had, she had said like, yeah, at the time, this was my mindset. Like, But she didn't really do that, I don't think. I don't know. It just seemed very blamey of other people. And that she was trying to make what other people told her, what other people's actions were. Like, as if that was responsible for what she, you know, that that was how she was led down this path. And, you know, I'm not opposed to people saying, hey this is was what was going on this is what, where my mind was at and that's what I feel like kind of was the missing piece like I really didn't feel like I heard really fully where her mind was at when she's talking about what these other people were doing and saying to her necessarily or at least not in a way that made me think that because, I, again, I it just felt like she was saying because these people were saying these things, like that Tom was telling her one version of the story, that because of that, that she, you know, because she believed him, she, you know, went on to do blah, 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 blah. And, you know, to me, that's not really taking accountability in a way that's kind of just a way to blame someone else without being like, no, it's their fault. So, because of that, I really wasn't that thrilled with this interview and why I feel like, again, you know, she could be telling the full on God's honest truth and I could, you know, we could all just be being fooled by, you know, again, these reality TV stars, which shocker, why would it be, you know, why would it be that, you know, reality TV stars are getting one over on us, you know? So, I don't know, but... (laughs) like I said it just the way that she tried to justify certain things it just didn't sit well with me so and you know and I I also don't really like Bethany sorry I'm popular. maybe popular maybe unpopular opinion I don't know like I feel like Bethany Franklin and I align somewhat politically but I just also feel like she's very much a hypocrite As well. And that's just what irks me. But anyway. That is my little reality TV news segment here. Not that I meant to get into that. But you know. That was one thing I listened to this week. Um, My boyfriend and I also started watching The Bear. Which is so so good. Um, The second season is giving me anxiety. But the first season was amazing. We loved it. So. So. I'm done blabbing. That was way too much. I'm so sorry if you are not interested at all at any of what I just talked about. I apologize. So without further ado, let's get into the news update. This first story took place during the early morning of Monday, August 14th. A North Carolina man was charged with larceny and second-degree murder of a motorist who fatally killed his 17-year-old son, allegedly. Now, before we all get excited about a tale of parental revenge, we need to go over the facts. Because, honestly, reading the headlines, I also was kind of like, oh, shit. Dad got dad got revenge. This is going to feel good. But we need to go over the facts because this is tricky. Now, according to Pearson County Sheriff's Department, the man being charged, the father, known as Chad Woods, was driving with three relatives, one of them being his 17-year-old son, when they ran out of gas. The son and the two other relatives started walking along the road, presumably to find and get gas for this car. Not long after 39-year-old Jeffrey Leonard McKay was driving down that same road in his pickup truck and struck the 17-year-old boy, killing him. McKay immediately called 911 to report the accident, saying that he was, quote, unable to avoid, end quote, hitting the teen. The 911 operator stated that they heard two gunshots, and then the line went dead. Woods had seen what had happened, took out his handgun, and shot and killed McKay, allegedly. According to police, after killing McKay, Woods took McKay's car and drove himself and the two relatives, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but that is just my assumption, to his home. Meanwhile, he just left his sons and McKay's bodies there at the scene. Which, that... Again... This is a very tricky situation. I can understand the emotional distress of having seen your child being killed right in front of your eyes and having the means to do something about it. Even though, you know, this wasn't any sort of malicious intent from what I'm gathering and from what we know, you know, which what I just told you that, you know, this seems to be a complete and total accident. You know, so obviously this is an extreme emotional overreaction. But again, not saying that I don't understand where Chad Woods is coming from. You know, what he just saw was extremely traumatic. And he probably just thought that that was the best thing that he could do. Not saying that he in any way, shape or form, what he did was right. Because it was not. It was absolutely wrong. He should not have done that. However, I'm just saying... Because of how quick it was after the fact, I can see how the emotional and mental trauma of that event could have triggered what he did. Not saying it's an excuse. Again, not justifying it. I'm just saying I can understand how that could have happened. Again, not right at all. The case is still under investigation and the investigation is ongoing. I mean, it's just sad and it's just horrible and completely fucked up situation all around. I mean, I don't know what was going on with McKay when this accident occurred. Like, we don't know what happened with it. Like, was it a car malfunction? Like, did something happen? Did he lose control? You know... Or, you know, and not to be devil's advocate here, but, you know, there is a possibility that maybe he was intoxicated. But, you know, the fact that he immediately called 911, I think, just showed a lot about his character and knew that he knew to do the right thing. I mean, these men were only a few years apart, you know, him and the father, you know. So, clearly, I just feel like he knew what he did was wrong and I don't think that it was anything other than, like, car-related. But, again, the investigation is still ongoing, so I will keep you posted if I see anything about this case further. This next case is actually an update from a 2020 murder. Um, I never said anything about it on the podcast. I mean, granted, I didn't have the podcast back then, but... um, you know, I just saw this update and I wanted to share it with you all. So this update is for the murder of U.S. soldier Vanessa Gillian. I believe is how you pronounce her last name. For those who don't remember, Vanessa was reported missing in twenty twenty April 2020. And two months later, her body was found dismembered. And it was discovered that she was killed by another soldier that she worked with. A man named Aaron David Robinson. Robinson was assisted by his then girlfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend named Cecily Aguilar. And before his capture, Robinson committed suicide via gun. So, of course, now the girlfriend is left to, you know, deal with the rest of this shit. And, you know, obviously suicide, you know, suicide is not the best. But, like, especially in this situation, like, you kind of just want to... I want to bring him back for the dead and just let him face what he has to face because it was such a, you know, just fucking took the easy way out of it, you know? So Miss Aguilar was charged on Monday again to 30 years in prison for helping dispose of Vanessa's body after being found guilty in federal court. She was found guilty of her you know, counts specifically, are one count of accessory to murder after the fact and three counts of making false statements. Now, Natalia Kawam, I think is how you pronounced her last name. I'm so sorry. Miss Natalie, if I pronounced it wrong. Um, But she is an attorney representing Vanessa's family, and she stated that we, quote, finally have closure in this case, end quote. Now, for this last one, at first I found it to be super creepy because of, like, the titles that they were putting for this case. Like, for the news articles and stuff. Um, And also just kind of, like, the lack of information that kind of made it creepy to me. But then kind of researching kind of seemed like maybe it's not (laughs) as creepy as I thought. Again, on a Monday, which I swear I did not plan this. I, you know, normally I look throughout the week and find stories and either email them or text them to myself. But for whatever reason, this week, it just seemed like everything hoppin' happened on the Monday, regardless of when anything was reported. So again, on Monday, police found four men inside of a parked car outside Jonathan Jennings' school in Indianapolis three of the men were dead and the fourth was taken to a nearby hospital the man appeared to be intoxicated according to the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department the men had no obvious signs of trauma but investigators have not yet said how the three men have died Buses to the school were rerouted in order to avoid the scene, and it is said that all students and staff are reported safe. So, like, nothing, no sort of poisoning or anything kind of like that in the area was happening. So, everyone's okay. My, you know, again, my first guess was like, oh, this, sh- this is shady. Because literally, it was just, like, three men found dead in a car in front of elementary school cause of death not yet determined like when you read that you know and I you know we all know I don't laugh because it's funny I laugh because either something like I'm just uncomfortable so you know sorry but anyway like it just it just seems so ominous this news title like right I mean When you give out such limited information like that, the brain just runs wild. So, like, I was thinking of something completely sinister in this situation. Again, however researching it, I personally think that maybe this is a potential overdose situation. You know, like I said at first, I thought it was, like, super creepy and maybe something more sinister. But I don't know. I think it really just seems to be that case and again this is just my opinion you know it's obviously horrible but the fact that there was one person who thankfully did survive and seemed to be intoxicated that would lead me to believe something more like I said overdose slash drug related but you know police are still investigating this case so we will see what's going on you know and I hate to say like I hope it's you know that they just overdosed you know because obviously the alternative is that like someone tried to fucking kill them so and well not tried but did kill them so you know I mean I don't know it's fucked up it's it's all fucked up regardless of how you look at it it just seems less fucked up when it seems like it was an accident you know All right, so that is the news update for this week. Let's get into this week's case.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities, mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about What happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture? In the spring, I had on doctors Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts.
1: Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and pre cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one of a kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So... Go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E and order today. On December 1st, 1946, 18-year-old Paula Jean Weldon a sophomore at Bennington College in Vermont, went for a walk on the long trail, wearing a red parka. At around 4 p.m., she ran into a group with a man named Ernie Knapp, who were returning from a camp. She asked for directions, which Ernie and his friends gave, but they informed her that it would be getting dark soon and that she wasn't properly dressed, so she shouldn't go out too far. That would be the last time anyone would hear or see Paula Jean Weldon. Paula Jean Weldon was born on October 19th, 1928 in Samford, Connecticut to parents William Archibald Weldon and Jean Douglas. Her father was a well-known and respected architect and designer And it was said he designed certain kitchen utensils and cocktail shakers as well. Like, just to name a few things. So, essentially, she came from a life of privilege. Not that that matters at all as to what, you know, has happened to her. Like, what we'll get into. But, like, you know, just putting it out there, the type of life that, you know, that she had. In 1946, Paula was a sophomore at Bennington College studying art, and she was dorming in the Dewey house. She worked in the dining hall during the breakfast and lunch shifts, and it was said that she was definitely interested in botany, which I'm just like, same girl, same. Again, You know, I pointed out that she was from privilege, but I think it's just, you know, it just says a lot about her character that she was still, you know, in a way, working her way. You know, she didn't see herself as, or at least, you know, by taking that job, it seems that she doesn't or didn't see herself as someone who was better than anyone else just because of who her parents were. You know, it seemed like she very much understood, you know, hard work and the value of that. But love the fact that she's into botany. Side note, my plants are doing so stellar right now. Like, I'm just so obsessed with all of them. Speaking of which, after I record this, I have to water them. (laughs) But, you know, they're all doing wonderful. I just uh, harvested some peppers from my pepper plant, aka Pepe, and my banana pepper babies. My banana babies, as I've been calling them. Um, I have now had two ish batches of pickle like I pickled them. So, you know, everyone's just hashtag thriving right now, and I am obsessed. But that is enough of my plans. <laughs> it was said that some people stated that Paula wanted to find and walk a very specific area of the long trail and that is the name of the trail that she was on um you know it's not just a description that's the actual name and you know she actually even tried to get some other students to join her you know on that day December 1st to go you know but no one was able to so she decided that she you know wanted to go by herself Again, we need to remember that this is 1946. I am sure that there were murders happening. You know, I, whatever it, like whatever problems we're facing today, I am always assuming that they were also problems in other, you know, generations throughout the dawn of time. Okay. You know, whether it has been documented or not, you know, remains to be seen. But I, you know, I just refuse to believe that, you know, humans have changed so much as far as our needs are concerned, you know, that, you know, it would be so far different back then. But, you know, in the 40s as we true crime aficionados, advocates, scholars, what have you, what we know is that 30 years from now, actually 20-ish years from now, there is going to be a huge rise. And I say rise in uh, that way, like I'm being sarcastic, because obviously, you know, like I said, I feel like these things had happened. Like these things had been happening. So, you know, I just think at you know, in the sixties and seventies it just came more to light because we had more information and more technology to provide answers to crimes and situations that we couldn't do previously. So, you know, back then, the notion of going for a walk by yourself wasn't that, you know, insane. You know, I looked at it and was just like, this woman went for a hike all by her. Not to victim blame at all, but I'm just like, I look at him like, she went for a hike by herself? What was she thinking? What was she thinking? Why would she go? You know, she didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have this. She didn't have that. But that's because of the society that I grew up in. You know, so many things had to happen for us to get to such a, not overly cautious, but a cautious point. Just Or just a point of knowing and just being aware of crime and how certain things, you know, certain situations look. You know, we just have... The benefit of experience is essentially what I'm saying, which is why initially I was just freaked out by the fact that she was like, yeah, I'll just go by myself. And that's really the whole point of this whole tangent (laughs) that I took you all on. On that day, Paula had worked both breakfast and lunch shifts at the dining hall. She then returned to her dorm and spoke to her roommate. She told her roommate that she needed, you know, to take a break from, you know, that and just studying and left at around two thirty PM. Paula was seen hitchhiking near campus, which again is one of those things it just feels weird to say because it was normal at the time. Again, I am just a product, you know, slash benefit of being born at the time that I have been. So, you know, therefore we have all of this information that they did not so she was eventually picked up at around 2 45 p.m and she told the driver that she was going for this hike on the long trail which is off route nine and that is where this motorist dropped her off which was roughly three miles from the actual location you know for the actual opening of the trail where she wanted to be she was also seen by multiple hikers on this trail. And the final being Ernie Knapp and his friends. Now, there are some sources that say that there is no record of Paula leaving. However, based off of like the rule, it's that the student only needed to sign themselves out if they were planning on returning later than 11 p.m., So, that basically just proves the fact that Paula wasn't planning on being back to campus later than 11 p.m., which I feel like was reasonable for someone taking a hike at the time that she did. Now, at first, Paula's roommate didn't think too much of it when she didn't return and kind of figured that maybe she was just at the library studying for exams, However, Paula's roommate became more concerned the next morning when she realized that Paula hadn't returned at all. So she contacted college
0: officials. Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an exciting ITBR episode to talk to you about one of our sponsors, the Gay and Lesbian Review, Discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture with a subscription to the Gay and Lesbian Review, a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and our popular art memo column. Each issue of the Gay and Lesbian Review brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, but you will definitely find articles about online dating, like using Grindr as a social phenomenon, or even the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Did you know that I've actually interviewed three gay and lesbian review contributors? Make sure you listen to my Ignacio Darnad breaking the gay code in art episode, where Ignacio explains that key artistic figures like Michelangelo, Donatello, Thomas Eakins, J.C. Liondecker, and Tama Finlan all have really explicit homoerotic artwork. And then head on over to the next episode where I talk with. Dr. Vernon Rosario, about LGBTQ psychiatry and how homosexuality got depathologized. And our most recent episode was with the Gay and Lesbian Review's literary editor, Martha E. Stone, and she talks about what LGBTQ literature you should be reading this summer and also how to become a contributing writer and a reviewer for the Gay and Lesbian Review. To subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR to receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. And as an added bonus, you also receive online access to all of the Gay and Lesbian Review's archived issues. All of them. Okay, enjoy your reading, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew, and I am interrupting what I know is such an exciting Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and it's hosted by Christian Garcia. Christian is joined with guest co hosts to talk about classic cinema films that we know and love, and he analyzes them through a queer lens. So, He's talked about The Sound of Music, Alfred Hitchcock, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, and recently, Hello, Dolly. I actually was on his first ever episode to talk about my love of The Sound of Music and playing Captain Von Trapp in my high school musical. Then I was joined with Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime in Academia, and our friend Travis Roundtree to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mary just had Christian on True Crime in Academia to talk about female poisoners, including the evil queen from Snow White and actual real-life female poisoners. So... Christian's podcast is the best. You must add it to your listen list. After you listen to this episode, make sure you head over to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple and Spotify. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he's also on TikTok. Don't forget TikTok. Okay, I can't wait for you all to listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And now, back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room.
1: college administrators began a search of the campus and notified Bennington County Sheriff's Department. Now, at this time in Vermont, they did not have a state police department. Weeks of search efforts were conducted, but also eventually came to have been found that they were compromised because of a lack of a statewide law enforcement agency. Because of this sorry I hit my mic (laughs) because of this search efforts were literally being wasted because multiple self-directed teams were going over the same areas over and over again and I would have to say that this case you know thankfully it did but it just proved that they absolutely needed a state agency to keep track of all this you know Again, we have to remember that this was at a time when the internet was non-existent, quite literally. It was not even... Well, actually, I don't know for sure. But it seems like it wasn't even in the zeitgeist at the time of anyone's brain. You know, the need for it just wasn't there. And, you know, obviously hindsight's only twenty twenty. Clearly, they could have used some of that technology. But again you know, I they just didn't have the facilities to even be able to come up with what we had today. You know, if we want to think about it, you know, everything was a progression. Everything has built upon, you know, something else, you know, to become what it is today. You know, the cell phone is a perfect example. So, you know, thankful, you know, it's sad that this case occurred, but it also really did let, people know that having this one statewide law enforcement agency was important. Now, Connecticut State Police would eventually go on to provide assistance in this case. However, sadly, Paula's body was never found. As I mentioned previously, this led to the formation of the Vermont State Police At least four other unexplained vanishings occurred in the same general area between 1945 and 1950. This led to the area being coined as the Bennington Triangle. Now, I don't have any information about the other vanishings, but sadly, I feel like it is a result of just a bad, horrible, shitty a hiking area, and I don't know. I just don't feel like it's anything sinister and anything other than just, you know, Mother Nature, you know, if you will. So, obviously, still horrible. You know, I can't imagine being the loved one of someone who went missing, and you know. Not having found the body, I think, is such a huge thing because it's such a finality, you know? It is a very final thing when you can see that someone is no longer alive. And without that, I feel like for a family, I mean, that can be just such a horrifically taunting thing to have to deal with like if there is nobody you know there is a saying nobody no crime so and again not to say like to insinuate that a crime happened in this case but just to be like you know just to further be like yeah you know without a body it's hard to say what the fuck happened essentially and Yeah, like, that not knowing, like, I, you know, this case is old enough that, you know, I would hope people closest to her have since passed. And, you know, maybe at this point have some closure in their passing. Um, You know, because I'm someone who believes that there is an afterlife and such. So, you know, I'm hoping for that. But, you know, at the same time, like, it just sucks to think of the suffering that they went through. You know, while they were living, having never knowing or having not known what happened to Paula. Like that's, <sighs> I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that can be a fate worse than death for some people. All right, my loves, that is all I have for you this week. Please don't forget to follow True Crime in Academia on social media, at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok, and at TC in academia on Twitter. Also, if you would like access to the bonus content, please, please, please go to patreon.com slash ivorytower boiler room and become a subscriber today. And you know, buy your girl an iced coffee. I'd really appreciate that. Alright, until next time, guys, I will see you later.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the host and director of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor and host of True Crime in Academia. Please if you're not, make sure that you follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime in Academia on Instagram and Twitter. And TikTok, too. Remember our TikTok? That's where all the exciting video clips are posted. Make sure that you join our Patreon if you want more Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime and Academia content. All the video interviews are on our Patreon. All of our bonus episodes are on Patreon. And it just means so much for you to join. For $5 a month, you unlock all of our bonus episodes and also it just helps support the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thank you so much for giving Mary and I a needed jolt of caffeine for coffee. Thanks for the $5. Head to patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. We cannot wait for you all to listen to our summer season. There are so many exciting episodes and we're also celebrating three years of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. So. Without further ado, thanks for listening. Make sure you listen to the next episode next week and have a wonderful summer season, everyone. Okay. Bye now.